morning, everyone. Um, so we're going to read two parts of the Bible today. The first will be from the Old Testament, Psalm 118. So if you've picked up a Bible on, the, on your seat around you, that will be page 614, 614. And then we're going to jump forward, once we've read a part of that, to John 11. Um, I'll just give you a moment until the rustling stops. And that page for John 11 is 1,081. So let's start reading God's word um, from Psalm 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And now jump forward to John chapter 11, verse 1, and that's page 1081 in the Bibles on the seats. So John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will arise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Uh, well, as Hendry said, my name's Caden, and uh, this morning we've got the task of sitting under God's word and hearing what he has to say about this problem of death. Uh, and it's an all-too-real problem, isn't it? Uh, so as we begin, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you might speak through your word. Give us belief in your Son that might ha- carry us through the hardship of death that we might have true life in you and be united to Christ and his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, death is a heavy topic. For some of us, death might still be an abstract idea, but for many of us, it's a much more real thing to wrestle with 
as we see those who we love become sick, get older, and come to the end of their lives. As the famous saying goes, nothing can be said to be true, uh, certain, except death and taxes. Uh, Though people can avoid or evade taxes, can't they? But there's no minimizing death, no escaping the inevitable end of all humankind. Death is the unwanted end of each of our stories. And so this morning, I want us to deepen our belief in Jesus as the one who brings about and embodies the resurrection. For the one who believes in Jesus, death is not really the end to our story. We aren't separated from God in death. But perhaps there's maybe a necessary paragraph break as we move forward into what God has in store for us next. But how do we normally face the prospect of death? Whether it's gradual or sudden, death is always devastating, isn't it? So how does Jesus help us to hold in tension the true awfulness of death on the one hand without giving in to despair on the other? How is it that as Christians we can, we can not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope? Well, uh, let's get into John's account of Lazarus, and we'll think about uh, this in three sections. Uh, The problem, a promised solution, and the solution acted out. And so our first section, verse 1 to 16, if you've got a Bible there, have it open at John 11. We're going to be working our way through. We have a problem. Uh, Lazarus is sick. And so Mary and Martha send a message, uh, but... From what they record, what John records for us, it doesn't tell us what sort of sickness it is. But at this time in history, with their medical practices and the fact that they send this message to Jesus, we can assume it's serious. And the message doesn't tell Jesus what to do, but I think we all know Jesus should go, don't we? His friend is sick, and there's a good chance that he's going to die. Now, having read a little bit further on and knowing that Lazarus does die, it seems a bit odd that Jesus says in verse 4, this illness doesn't lead to death. Well, actually it does, because Lazarus dies. So what does Jesus mean? He means the end of the sickness is not death. Ultimately, Lazarus' sickness doesn't lead to death, but to joy in him being brought back to life. But we've got this problem. Lazarus, Jesus' beloved friend, is really sick. And Jesus is up in the north of Israel, far away. So what does Jesus do? Well, we'd expect him to go immediately down to Bethany. That's what you'd do, isn't it? Uh, Call your boss, say, I've got got to leave early, drop everything. Cancel your plans. Do what you need to to help this friend in need. To be there at the end for that final goodbye. To show your care. This dear friend is on his deathbed. But have a look in verse 5 and see what Jesus does instead. Because it's surprising. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It doesn't say he only stayed another two days. He wasn't waiting for the next available flight. He didn't have a big preaching gig that he needed to be at. It doesn't take two days to pack up all his gear and get his sandals on. But he stays two more days. But Jesus' love is on display here. He loves Martha. He loves her sister. And he loves Lazarus. Yet instead of leaving what he's doing, he waits. There's a great paradox in the way that Jesus expresses his love for them here. And it's only after these two days of remaining where he is that Jesus heads down to Judea, very near to Jerusalem, where the Jews have recently tried to kill him. So why does he wait? Why not go immediately to be with his sick friend and Mary and Martha? Well, we get the answer in the previous verse, verse 4. The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The reason Jesus stays is to bring about the glory of God. That people might worship God for his power, and the way Jesus uses God's power in caring for those suffering. And he waits in order that people might glorify him. That they might recognize him as the son of God. That they might believe that Jesus is equal to the Father in power and love. But perhaps you have the question, does Jesus wait for Lazarus to die on purpose? Is it some cruel kind of trick that he plays, taking away a brother just to demonstrate his power? Does this end justify the means? Well, I don't think that's what's happening here. See, from the timing that we get, even if Jesus left as soon as he heard that his friend was sick, he'd still be two days away when Lazarus died. But Jesus goes down to Judea, despite the danger, and though he can perform miracles from afar, like with the centurion's servant in Luke chapter 7. And so we come to Bethany, uh, just under three k's from Jerusalem, and it's here that we get a proposed solution for the grieving sisters. Martha and Mary have lots of Jews with them, consoling them and joining them in their mourning. But when Jesus comes, Mary, uh, Martha gets up and goes to him. But what does she go to him for? What is Martha expecting? Let's have a read of the conversation. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha expresses her trust in Jesus, despite the sadness that she feels. Despite the fact that Jesus wasn't around for the death of her brother, and that he took so long to get there, she still recognizes that Jesus is one that God listens to. But that's not a big enough view of Jesus. He seeks to widen Martha's view. So he says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. We heard last week about the resurrection already in John's gospel. If you've got a Bible, flick back a page or two to John chapter 6. And in verse 39 to 54, 
Jesus mentions the resurrection four times. Have a look, uh, chapter 6, and we'll read verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Four times Jesus speaks of this raising up, and four times it's on the last day. That's the general understanding of the Jewish people at this time, that there will be a time in the future when all are raised either to judgment or to eternal life. And that's how Martha hears what Jesus is speaking about. So back in chapter 11, verse 24, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. There is comfort to Jesus' words, but it kind of feels like a reminder of what she already knows. Maybe some of the Jews who were with her, consoling her, had already told her these things. Just another, I'm sorry for your loss. But then Jesus radically changes her expectations. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. These are two very big statements from Jesus and Martha. So let's drill down into them a bit more. Jesus says he is the resurrection. The resurrection is not just a distant future event to hope in. It is a present reality, a particular person. The glorious news of eternal life in the gospel is not just an abstract idea or philosophy. It is grounded in the concrete, real person of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It seems pretty straightforward, maybe aside from the slightly clunky English. The one who trusts Jesus after passing through death will be raised in the future resurrection to everlasting life. But what about the next bit, verse 26? Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Is Jesus promising death evasion for those who believe in him? That would be a little bit ironic, uh, given at the end of this chapter we hear about Jesus' own death being planned. Rather, anyone who has the life of faith that comes from God has true life. So even though they may go through physical death, they won't be separated from God. Our death as Christians is not ultimate death. Instead, the Bible uses the language of sleep to show the temporary nature of death. Jesus is the one who brings true life in the present. Eternal life is not just a future reality, it is something that begins now within us as we are united to Christ. There is still a future event that we await in the resurrection on the last day, but it is brought into the present now through Jesus. We experience life with God through his indwelling spirit now. 
And that's the question that Jesus asks to Martha. Do you believe this? He's not asking about whether he's about to bring her brother back to life in five minutes. But do you believe that I am the one who can raise people to life? Spiritually now and physically in the future. Do you believe that Jesus has the power in himself to give everlasting life? That's not just a question for Martha, is it? This is a question for each one of us here today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That he has life within him, that he's able to bring life from death, to give true, meaningful life, uniting you with God forever, starting here and now. If you do, you can say those same glorious almost creed-like words with Martha. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Martha goes and gets Mary, her sister, and some of the Jews come along with her, thinking that she's going to mourn at the tomb. But instead, they end up witnessing this great sign that Jesus performs. And Mary falls at Jesus' feet and says almost the exact same thing as her sister. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believes Jesus has great power too. But Jesus doesn't have that same private conversation with Mary. Instead, he is overcome with emotion. At the sight of his weeping friend, at the Jews with her weeping Jesus shows that this person, who is himself the resurrection and the life, is also personal. He bursts into tears at the devastation of death and its effect. He's not some distant, unmoved God who couldn't care less about our suffering. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He mourns with those who mourn. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The question of some of the Jews there is maybe the same question that you've had at times when you face suffering. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And the expected answer is yes, surely he could have. What this group is really saying is, he doesn't really love Lazarus. If he could have saved him, he must have chosen not to. He's got the power, but he's not really loving. He's not truly good. I wonder if you've ever felt that way when someone you've seen has gone through suffering. Someone you love has faced death. God doesn't care. He doesn't love me. How can God be truly good and powerful and truly loving when suffering exists? How does Jesus respond to this questioning? 
Well, in our last section, Jesus acts out the solution when he comes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Again, Jesus' emotions and inner turmoil are bubbling up to the surface as he confronts the death of his friend. See, those questions that we ask are not meaningless to God. God is not a distant God. He comes to us as the man, Jesus, from Nazareth. God in the flesh. He comes to his grieving friends. He mourns with them at the tomb. He enters into our suffering. He enters into their pain and uses his power to bring about healing and restoration. Yet, even here, as Jesus prepares to bring Lazarus back to life, nobody expects it. Even Martha, despite her recognition of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the Promised One, Even she doesn't expect him to so radically use his power in this way. But John wants us to be clear about Jesus. He wants us to see the glory of God. He wants us to glorify the Son by believing in him. And so we have certain details clarified for us. See, Lazarus was truly dead. Have a look from the end of verse 38. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. A stone covered the tomb, keeping animals out and the stench of the body in. So no one could have quickly just ducked in in some grave cloths and come out pretending to be Lazarus. But we get two other hints that Lazarus was really dead. Firstly, Martha is called the sister of the dead man. And secondly, this dead man has been in the tomb four days. All throughout the narrative, it is clear that Lazarus has truly died. No one's expecting Jesus to just somehow heal him and bring him back from the brink of death. He is truly dead. But what happens next? Belief leads to seeing the glory of God. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha has believed, and despite this moment of perhaps uncertainty, now Jesus displays the glory of God as the one who is the resurrection and the life. But before he shows it, he wants to make absolute certain that everyone knows what's going on. So he prays to the Father about his unity with the Father, that he is sent from the Father. That the Jews would know that he's not using some magic or trickery or dark arts. Jesus is one with the Father. And so he prays in verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus doesn't want anyone misunderstanding what's happening here. His two-day delay has made sure that, he, uh, that Lazarus is truly dead, and he's made clear where his power is coming from. So with that done, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus! 
come out. There's no secretive, mystic, hocus-pocus going on here. Just the powerful word bringing about life. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus obeys. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This man was dead, this brother, this friend, and is now alive. He is to be released from his grave clothes, to be back to living and set free for life again. Can you imagine the joy of receiving back a brother or a friend after four days of grieving? It's just incredible, isn't it? Wouldn't you have loved to be there to witness this? It would have been a very emotional day. Four days of grieving to receive him back living, breathing, completely restored. But as wonderful as this was, this was only a foretaste of what's to come. See, Lazarus wasn't resurrected. John doesn't even use the language of raised, though our headings in our ESV does. No, this was only the solution acted out. Lazarus was only brought back to a temporary life. One day he would die again. His friends and his family would grieve his loss again. But this is a great picture of the future reality that is brought about through Jesus Christ's power. It's at Jesus' resurrection that we more fully see the beginning, the first fruits, the promise of what is to come. Jesus is resurrected, as all those who believe in him will be one day. This event, ironically, in John's gospel, this bringing Lazarus back to life, is what marks the turning point for the Jews. Instead of recognizing Jesus as the one who could bring hope in the face of death, they start plotting how to put Jesus to death. They choose death over life. Jesus, through bringing life to this friend, brings about the end of his life at the hands of the Jewish leaders. Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life turns them against him and they seek to take his life. The terrible yet glorious means by which we gain life. Let me read from Revelation 21, verse 3, about the new creation, the resurrected life that we await. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When we are raised, we will no longer mourn over death. God doesn't enjoy our sorrow. He's bringing about the end to our sorrow. So what difference will this make as we face our own impending death and the death of those we love? 
Well, there's a number of unanswered questions in this passage, aren't there? And in some ways, that's what all our suffering is like. We don't have a clear word from God on the specifics of our suffering or why individuals that we love die in the way that they do. But we do have a personal God. We do have one who has become human, who has suffered the loss of those he loved, and who is grieved at death. We have Jesus, the God-man, who through his perfectly obedient life brought about true life for us with God, who went to his death for us, who knows what death is like, who through his death brought about the end to our spiritual death, who through his resurrection brought about our, our resurrection, who through his ascension brought about our union with him through his spirit, that we might be united with him in his life and resurrection now. So how should we live? Not in fear of death, but in hopeful anticipation of the fullness of our resurrection with Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus demonstrated your power and love in bringing Lazarus back to life. We thank you that he demonstrates your power and love by offering us eternal life with you through his death. Help us to believe in him that we might see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.